Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Elixir Mix. I'm here with Adi Iyengar. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And yeah, I'm going to kind of get us rolling a little bit here. We had our guest cancel. It's kind of at a weird time for our other co-hosts, so... Since it didn't show up on their calendar, I think they just didn't make it. But I've been thinking a lot about the direction for devchat.tv. And as I've been thinking about this and I've been talking to people, I've actually been coaching people on starting podcasts and things like that. And I keep coming back to this idea of top-end devs, right? Top-end developers. What makes a top-end developer? Who are the top-end developers? How do they show up in our community? Why do we need them? That kind of a thing. And what's funny is, is that... I have people at all levels, right, that are talking to me and going, hey, how do I level up? How do I get to that next place? Some of them are juniors, right? And it's like, hey, how do I how do I get some recognition? How do I contribute to the community? How do I make a difference? And then you've got these people who are kind of, they've kind of gotten to the, the highest level and they're kind of going, okay, now what, right? I'm a senior developer, not really interested in the, in the management track. What do I do, right? I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. And just to kind of set the stage a little bit, especially for these senior developers, what I found, and for the first couple of years of my career, people kind of wind up on this default trajectory, right? And, you know, in math, it was kind of like the slope of the line, right? And so you're kind of on this gradual ascent where you start out, you graduate from boot camp or college, or maybe you just taught yourself, right, enough to get a job. And then as you move along, you gain enough skills, you gain enough experience to get that next job that pays a little bit better. You're working on a little bit more interesting stuff. And you. so now you're getting more experience and better skills. And then you move on to another job that gives you more interesting stuff and better pay. And you can kind of feel the cycle there, right? Until eventually, yeah, somebody looks at you and says, do you want to be the team lead? Or do you want to be the architect or the principal engineer? Or But a lot of times that's just more of the same, right? And then it's, you know, do you want to be the CTO? And, but a lot of people don't even wind up that far, right? They just kind of wind up still on that same general low-grade line until they retire. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But when I talk to people, a lot of people aren't really fulfilled by that, right? So they kind of get to the point where they're a senior developer. They've been in this for 10, 15 years, or even five years. And they're looking ahead and they're going, hmm well, I'm going to be here until I'm tired of it, right? Or until somebody offers me more money. And then I'm going to go work somewhere else. And that somewhere else is going to look like here, right? I'm going to be there until I get tired of it, until someone offers me more money. And then I'm going to go somewhere else. And I'm not really that excited, you know? More vacations with older kids. You know, I mean, that that's really the issue, right? And so they're looking to be inspired by something. They're looking for some 
some other way of having something else, something bigger, something more exciting. And some people find that in other areas of life, right? And so they have some other hobby, you know, where they go run marathons or they go cliff jumping or whatever their thing is, right? But a lot of people, they want that in work, especially since we all put in eight plus hours a day, right? At work. And so I've kind of coined this idea as kind of top end devs, right? What makes a top end dev? What? And the the other thing is, is that we kind of need top end devs. I think companies need top end devs in them, right? Somebody that's going to kind of push things along and and be kind of the engine around their innovation and, and things like that. And so these folks become this critical part of the fabric of our community and critical part of the community. And so that's kind of the idea. In fact, I'm actually working on some stuff around the idea of top-end devs that I'm going to be launching here within the next month or two. But yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking at. I'm, I'm curious, Adi, as we kind of dive into this a little bit, I mean, do you work with some top-end devs or does anyone come to mind when we talk about top-end devs? And, and how do you kind of define what they do or who they are, what, what it is that makes them top-end devs? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually don't know how to define them, but and honestly, like it's like, you know, depends on perception too. But it's it's really someone who kind of, you know, breaks away from that curve that you were mentioning. You, you mentioned the straight line and the mathematics nerd in me is like saying, hmm, it's more like a logarithmic graph, right? It like goes yeah. up and like kind of slows down and eventually mm-hmm. like it's stagnation, right? So anyone who escapes that, right. I think can be considered that top end dev, right? And the more you kind of try to push yourself away from that, the more you'd be in that category. Generally, I feel like people who surround themselves with similar people, similar minded mm-hmm. people and intelligent people like who, you know, have like a little bit different responsibilities from them so they can get like, you know, different perspectives. Then you're kind of placing yourself to kind of branch off of that curve that we talked about. Right. And that includes like mentors, right? Like not just, you know, mm-hmm. your coworkers, like mentor, I think mentorship plays such a big role. And the earlier you have a good mentor, the sooner you'll know what yeah. you have to do to keep up with technology because technology is opposite. It's not logarithmic. It's increasing at an exponential mm-hmm. rate. So, yeah. Right. So it's like, like you're, you're going down the logarithmic path. Technology is going down the exponential path to keep up. You have to not just put an effort. You have to increase the amount of effort you're putting, which is at some point, like not possible. So that's why you have to surround yourself with people who would catalyze that growth. And I, at my company, at Community, I feel like there are there are quite a few people, quite a few people I think I'd put in that category. Just I think just to, I guess, name one person as an example, Jeffrey Matthias, is, is, he's like mm-hmm. a huge catalyst. He uh, wrote Testing Elixir with Andrea, who's another one of those uh, in Community. But just Sting and Jeffrey, like he he doesn't just find opportunities for himself to grow, but he creates an environment around wherever he goes for others also to follow that path, you know, without mm-hmm. a lot of resistance. And for me, I guess right now where I am, if you say top it like a top end dev, Jeffrey is like kind of like the face of that in my in my head. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's funny too, because you, you started talking about how people get out, right? And, being around other people that that are in in a similar position is one of those ways. But but I want to go back to the idea of yeah, how do you keep up with this kind of exponential growth of technologies? And what's funny is is that I've kind of been involved in some communities as they were just kind of starting out, right? So they're they're relatively slow growth curve at the beginning. I mean, we started Elixir Mix relatively early in Elixir's life, 
Ruby Rogues, what's interesting is, is that we've been around long enough to see it kind of slow back down. JavaScript is going gangbusters. I mean, it's up, 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 right? So all of these different technologies are going different directions. And yeah, it's like, you know, how do, how do I keep up with all of it, right? And I have people ask me this all the time. And the realistic answer is, is where do you want to go? And then, yeah, the, the best answer I can give to, well, then how do I get there is, yeah, be with other people who are going there, right? But the thing that, that I think is, is even more strategic to that, and I, I want to bring it back to the top end devs idea, is that it's people a lot of times will boil this down to skills, right? It's like, well, what, what's the next thing in Elixir that I need to learn, right? I, I just need to understand gen servers. Like, I need to think in binary about this thing, right? And it's like, it's like, well, at a certain point, I mean, they're diminishing returns, right? You know, you need to understand how to learn it. You need to be able to to use it. But I mean, once you get to the point where you kind of reach instinctively for the right thing, you probably ought to move on to something else, right? But the other thing is, is that these, these top-end folks, and when I say top-end devs, I'm usually talking about people that are kind of in the top 5%, right? So if I line you up with 19 other developers and and I talk to each of you, right? And, and I have to choose which one of you I want to work with. Top-end devs, I'm going to pick you, right? You're the top-end dev, right? And so, unless you're unlucky and there are two of you in there, right? <laughs> but, but you kind of get the idea. So when we're talking about this, typically I start talking about, okay, well, what about just the top 20%, right? And, and that kind of comes down to that 80-20 rule. So what, who are those people, right? The top 20%. Well, it, it comes back down to that Pareto's distribution, right? And... What's interesting is that, as with everything else, they're usually just the people that are just doing a little bit more than anybody else, right? So they're the people that are reading the books, listening to the podcasts, they're going out to the conferences. And I wouldn't be shocked. I haven't actually proved this out, but I wouldn't be shocked if about 20% of the community actually shows up to conferences or users groups or things like that. It really wouldn't surprise me if the other 80% are what Scott Hanselman calls uh, dark matter developers, right? They show up to work, they put in their time, they get the job done, and then they go home, right? But yeah, back to this idea, the things that they're getting out of those, though, aren't just the skills, right? You show up to a conference, you go to a talk, you don't walk out of there as an expert in whatever technology they talked about, right? And that's not what those talks are for anyway. You walk out of there with basic understanding, but you walk out of there with respect. I was going to say responsibilities, but with relationships. And that's really where a lot of this starts. And then as you kind of get up into the top 5%, you start participating as the speaker or as the expert, right? And as you do that, you start getting recognized for that, for what you contribute back to the community. And so that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about the top end devs is we're talking about, okay, who are these people that are contributing into the community who are feeding the community, who are leading it to a, a place where it needs to go, who are taking the technologies to places where we're not dreaming of yet right? But are places where it, it can go and thrive, right? You know, and, and I see potential for Elixir. I see a potential for a lot of other things, right? I mean, we were talking before the show that you worked for like a, a crypto company, right? And I've always been thinking, yeah, with, with the nature of Elixir, you know, why couldn't it be good at, say, machine learning or crypto mining or things like that, right? Where it's, you know, with the the parallelization you can do with processes and stuff, it's like, why wouldn't it be good at that, right? And so, yeah, you know, as people kind of push the envelope there a little bit or innovate at the companies they're at, that's the kind of top-end dev that I'm, I'm really thinking about. 
but they don't do it alone. You know, you talk about relationships and I think that's a key component. And then as they kind of become well known about that, then they gain the influence to be able to push these ideas further out into the community. Totally. Yeah, that totally agreed with that. I think there's one there's one problem with that is unfortunately the opportunities are not same for everyone in the, even the same company, right? Like I have, uh, I'll give an example of one of the small companies I worked at. I kind of started there and it was very surprising to see like how many smart people were mm-hmm. kind of hidden in this like small company in like downtown Boston. And I somehow got like a lot of, a lot of opportunities to work with the CTO because I was paid as a CTO uh, right, out of, right out of the college. And I got to like learn so much more than say other people who started with me, but who were definitely, definitely significantly more intelligent than me and more capable, right? And that's because the opportunity doesn't exist for everyone, right? And right. that, and that's I think something to recognize. Only way I see around that is like trying to again go to a place where you can find more, like, you know, like surrounding yourself with like more mm-hmm. of those top end devs. And I mean, for, uh, as a fallback, you know, side projects and other right. things, and it sucks, but not everyone gets equal opportunities. And like, what you can do about it is like create those for yourself with side projects or talks, right? Or like everything you mentioned, Chuck. Yeah, and it's it's so hard to gauge because we we talk about this, we talk about opportunities, and it's well, how much of this is kind of where you landed, and how much of this is where you put yourself or what you've done, what, what opportunities you created for yourself. And, and I don't, I have never seen anybody properly gauge any of that. And so the best you can do is just say, okay, here's where I am. Here's where I want to go. And here's what I've got to do to get there, right? Who do I need to have a relationship with? And maybe it's, hey, there's this person that's kind of a pie in the sky relationship, right? That, that may not be realistic, but then who around me is going that way, right? Who can I go with and I'm I'm going to help lift them sometimes and they're going to help lift me sometimes right and I think every community is going to have some aspect of that right so what relationships can I build what skills can I build right what what can I learn better right and then yeah how can I contribute to the community in ways that are going to help foster more relationships and help me get some level of lift as far as the community goes so that the community as a whole is willing to pull me up because I'm giving to them. Yeah, totally. Because it opens doors. And yeah, not all opportunities are created equal. Not all situations are created equal. I And, and again, I, I don't know how to gauge that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the, the, the only real limiting factor is what you're going to do about where you're at. So, and th- that's the thing that I, I really want to open up to people is it's like, look, you know, you can kind of be stuck on that default trajectory or you can say okay well i really think that there's this other opportunity to kind of get off this line that i'm on and really push off to this next level and and i think we're, we're kind of talking in broad terms about skills and relationships and recognition but i th- i think there are some really really concrete things that you can do to push yourself to those places and so i'm happy to talk about some of those practices I don't know if there are other things you want to talk about first, Adi. Yeah, just one one small thing. I guess before doing anything, I think I think one of the things is like just like the attitude, like the thought, mm-hmm. being critical of yourself and just and analytical of yourself, right? And I'm assuming like if someone's like watching and like hearing this podcast, it's likely that they already think about, you know, the career and stuff. I think one of the things I learned and actually learned from watching the CTO that I mentioned of my first company mm-hmm. was how observant he was of other people and their skills. 
and it just kind of came to me through him and like uh, it's it's really awesome like if you actually try to pay attention to what someone you're talking to someone you're working with is good at 99% of the times you'd find something that they are better at than you and then you can learn something from them right and that's like maximizing yes like yes we said like surround yourself with like top de- top developers but not everyone can do that right away like mm-hmm. find top qualities and mediocre developers that you can learn from right just like that changing how, the way you think changing your attitude before doing anything would help get so much far yeah it's true the other thing to keep in mind too is that even the people that look like they're at the top of their game i mean they have they have hard days down days whatever anyway right i mean i was talking to yeah. Adi today right and i kind of had an argument with my project manager today right <laughs> and we were talking about that because it happens right i'm just like no we're not we're not doing this anymore right and so it happens there are days I I don't want to get out of bed. I just, I don't, right? I'm sure Adi has those days too, right? Oh, yeah. And <laughs> we turn it on for the podcast and we we sound great. And and there have been days where I've come and I've turned it on for the podcast. And when the podcast is over, I'm like, all right, I'm sick. I'm going back to bed. And it happens, right? But on the whole, if you go win more days than you lose, right? Or go win a lot more days than you lose, then you're going to be way better off. And so... Yeah. yeah, you know, go find those role models. I think that's critical, Adi. I think you're absolutely right. And then, yeah, give yourself some room to mess up and to to have a bad day and just be like, you know what? I had a bad day. Tomorrow I'm going to win, right? Yeah. So I, I really want to get into some of these strategies because I, I think it's important for people to not just go, okay, you know, skills, relationships, recognition. I, and I've, I've kind of been saying this for a few months to people. Skills, relationships, recognition. I think there are some pretty important things that you need to be doing in order to open these up. And they're all kind of related too. So keep in mind that some of these are going to tie into multiple things. But I think the first thing to do, and I'm going to start with skills, is just practice every day. Okay. And a lot of people, I'm I'm going to say this, and I know some people are just, they're going to turn it off. They're going to be like, you are nuts, right? I don't have time for that. You're nuts. I can't. That's fine. But honestly, practice. And if you can do it, Put in an hour a day. That's your lunch break. Get up an hour earlier after the kids go to bed. Go go learn. It could be reading. could be watching videos. could be watching a course, watching conference talks. could be actually writing code on something that's not work, right? And something that challenges you, right? It's not, oh, I'm going to go write more crud on this, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Go write something hard, you know, something that's challenging, something fun, right? Go go write a tic-tac-toe app. Go write a Sudoku solver. I mean, it doesn't have to be useful, but it has to be something that challenges your your skills, right? That makes you think differently and, and work differently. Go do, go do something that's not Elixir, that's in a language you don't know or that makes you makes you cringe maybe. Go do JavaScript. Whatever, but do, do an hour. If you can't do an hour a day, do a half hour a day. But put in the time, right? Because Honestly, you go and you see these people at the the conferences or who are speaking, or you go see these people who seem to be putting together the the courses on Pluralsight or the course, courses on Udemy or whatever. And the way they got there was they they went out there and they learned stuff. And the way they learned it was by fiddling with stuff. We did the episode on Gleam with Louis, and he basically he wanted to play with typing systems, right? And so he submitted a talk on typing systems, and then he went and fiddled with it right? And then his brain wouldn't let him put it down. And so he went and wrote a language on it, right? And I think that's the way a lot of it goes. And 
that that's been a lot of his learning journey over the last few years. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And just to give like an anecdote from my life, like I actually remember since you're talking about graphs, the inflection point in my life when mm-hmm. I, I considered myself, you know, from not being a being like a mediocre developer to like kind of transitioning to whatever you want to call it. Uh, it was actually like a couple of weeks, especially a specific weekend. I spent a ridiculous number of hours just doing code wars at that time. It was a uh, huge, mm-hmm. um, uh, to a point where I actually got in the top hundred. I was not even close. I, was, I, I got in the top, but it was within a week. Nice. And I realized I, I saw myself that the difference was huge. The confidence with which I was coding, mm-hmm. the speed at which I was coding, if something went wrong, the ability to have to develop that sixth sense of when it would go wrong. And I, I just, I gave this story to someone. I, I gave a conference talk at Codebeam Europe this year. And I, at the end, there was like live coding and metaprogramming and it, it went pretty good. And a few people have asked me after that, like, how did you do it and how did you do it live? And I said, well, that's because I, since 2016, when I had this weekend, after that, I've never had a single point in my life there hasn't been like a time when i don't have an active project going on outside mm-hmm. of my work and and that's that's what you what that's what you mentioned by practicing if you do it so often it just becomes like second nature like like we're talking this coding becomes second nature and it doesn't take you effort to do right. things that are challenging you can express your thought in in form of code and it's, it's a great place to be as a developer yep absolutely and when I say practice, I mean, it, it can be just active learning, right? So it can be listening to a podcast, it can be video, it can be other things. But ultimately, at some point, you've got to sit down and actually write real code. And I think to your point, Audie, you don't get the instincts for things until you've done it for hours and hours and hours and hours. I mean, one thing that, that I'm just going to bring in, so I joined this master swim team at the beginning of June, right? And I'll tell you, you know, I, I hurt most, most of the week, <laughs> right? I go, I go up five in the morning and, you know, and it's funny cause I'll go and, and I'll, I'll go get in the pool and, and I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good. And by the end, I'm just like, I'm dying. <laughs> and so then I'll come home and I'll get some stuff done. And then, you know, my kids wake up around uh, six or seven, you know, and we do our morning routine. And, and anyway, so I'm, I'm hurt most of the week, but we did drills uh, about a week ago. We were doing flip turns off the wall, right? And if you haven't done them before, it's it's kind of weird to think, okay, you know, you're swimming up to the wall and then you literally dive and do a basically a somersault underwater and then you kick off the wall to go the other way. If you've been watching the Olympics, that's how, how they do the turns for freestyle and backstroke, right? right? The, the difference between the two is just backstroke. They flip over on their front and then do a flip turn and then they kick off the wall and swim out the other way. And so she was asking us to practice flip turns and I was trying. And for whatever reason, I kept hitting the wall with my backside instead of my feet. And I'm sitting there going and, and it felt it felt right when I was doing it, except that I was too close to the wall. And so the coach finally, you know, she got in the water with us and showed us and realized that I was turning way too late. Right. So when you're swimming into the wall, you actually have momentum. Physics, folks, physics. And so, you know, I needed to turn sooner. And as soon as I started doing that, it felt natural. Well, it turns out I was a swimmer in high school. And so I've put in hours and hours and hours of swimming. But the the thing that I wasn't used to was swimming in a pool that's between three and four feet deep, right? Because the pool we're in is like that. But the pool I swam in in high school was between six and 13 feet deep. Mm. 
And so my instinct for when to turn was off, but the rest of it was correct. And so once I got that figured out, you know, the rest of the turn was natural. And I, one of the other guys that I swim with was a runner in high school. We went to high school together, incidentally. And so it took him a little longer to get used to it because of that. And, and it, it's that kind of thing, right? You do something over and over and over again. And that's what builds the, the instinct. That's what builds the, oh, this is going to go right. This is going to go wrong. This is when I do this. This is how I correct that. And, and it's the same with coding. It's the same with anything else. And so when you put the time in, right? And coding is a mental sport. It's just the way that it goes, right? And so the time you put in thinking about things, understanding things, working through problems, and, and just working through the, the process of, of thinking about things, that's where that skill is built, right? And so if you're reading a book or watching a video or going through a tutorial or reading a blog post or whatever, and you can focus on whatever it is you're trying to learn, that's where I find that those skills are built. And so when Audie's saying, hey, I've got a project going and I'm consistently working on a particular thing, that's where that works, right? And so then when you're, you know, in particular with you, Adi, when you're working on something that looks like something that you've worked on over and over and over again with these projects, you reach for the right thing. And for me, the way that I learn this stuff is I go, I go full immersion on whatever I'm trying to learn, right? So lately it's been Webpack and Webpacker in Rails, right? And so what I've been doing is I've picked up a book on Webpack and I've been watching videos on Webpack and I've been <laughs> listening to podcast episodes on Webpack. And what that does is because they all kind of cover things a little differently, right? The, the podcasts discuss the concepts of Webpack, but they're obviously not showing me how to use right. it. The books show me how to use it and they go into a whole lot of depth about how it works, <laughs> right? Which is, which is helpful, right? Because then I get a lot of concepts in a lot of depth that I don't get off of the podcast, but I can watch the videos and somebody will show me how it works and show me how to set it up and show me how to add plugins to it and all that stuff. And so as I work through all the different types of learning systems that are out there for it, and then go and try and use it myself, I have a really, really broad understanding of how to use it. And I can use that to target the way that I want to use it. And I get all that practice built up in my head so that I can do it the right way. Makes sense. Do you have any other tricks for learning stuff? I mean, is there anything that just works for you? I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time thinking. Um, uh-huh. I, it's because I have I have a lot of hobbies, and it's like the same thing. I'm I'm gonna give like other analogies too. Like even when I was in sports, I, I grew up in India, and like uh, cricket is like a big sport there. Mm-hmm. And I I was in my school team, and then I wasn't. I represent a district as well. It was I spent about two hours every other day practicing. I spent mm-hmm. probably six hours thinking and like simulating, and like and I, I bring the same things to like coding too. Like I think a lot about it. I have like a like a black glass board behind me. Like mm-hmm. I love to draw, like like just like, yeah, I, I just, it kind of keeps you in that zone as well. You never, like, it's funny, you never lose momentum, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Because you're always thinking about coding and you surround yourself with that. But I, I get it's like too much to ask and like, you know, people have lives. So, but doing that, like surrounding yourself with coding things and that taking away distract, distractions, if you want to call them distractions, if your goal is to, you know, if you're like young, and next five, six years, you want to be as best, as good a developer you can be. Other things are distractions, right? So taking those things away, surrounding yourself with only coding, software development stuff is, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, it keeps you in a, a zone to always improve and just uh, be productive. You know, it's funny because that wasn't on my radar, but I do visualizations myself. I like that. I have noticed actually a lot of 
people who you would put in that top tier category are mm-hmm. very they think a lot they simulations yeah. visualizations they, they they do that a lot yeah. and because it's a way for you to get experience without actually experiencing things right, right? yeah yeah you are at the mercy of your imagination but at least mm-hmm. something right yeah yeah well and it's a way for you to because one of the things that I can do with visualization that I can't do other ways is I can actually visualize things kind of to the next level, right? Yeah. And so I can imagine myself succeeding in ways that I haven't yet, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Cool. Well, let's talk about relationships for a minute. So I'm curious where and how have you built relationships within the programming community? Yeah, I have been terrible at that. I've been <laughs> like a total introvert for most of my career. Like only just this year when I started writing the book and, you know, in the process of like talking with people about it and promoting, I realized that, oh, I'm actually qualified to give conference talks and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, once you kind of go in that zone where you're giving talks and like not just attending conferences, the relationships kind of become easy to develop. But before that, I had not made much of an effort to build relationships. And and I regret that because it would have, it would have, uh, my career would have definitely looked at least a little bit different at least a little bit better if I would have made that effort. Mm-hmm. But just, just to elaborate a little bit more, like these days I organize meetups. For example, mm-hmm. Boston Elixir meetup, I organize that. I mentor people actively. A couple of them uh, actually ended up starting a company recently. And again, it's a, those are like very rewarding ways of also, uh, uh, creating relationships too. Two of my mentors are now my best friends and, you know, kind of we mentor each other now. It's also like once you leave a company, you know, once you leave like a group, it's also important to keep that relationship active, especially if it's like, you know, coding related should not be hard, you know, right? If that's your profession, like, for example, I'm taking part in a hackathon this uh, September with a couple of my mentors from my first company. Quick side shout out to SpawnFest again. It's a hackathon for uh, Beam Languages. But yeah, keep once you build good relationships, keeping that, keeping in touch with that and kind of creating again that environment where you learn from each other and motivate each other to grow. It's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Uh, You hit on a whole bunch of good ones. I mean, obviously for me, most of the people I have relationships with come through the podcast. But I mean, the users groups, at least early in my career, were key. Very, very, very key, right? And even at at conferences, you know, I went to conferences too, and I would meet people at conferences as as an attendee. I will tell you, though, that attending the conference as a speaker opens a whole lot of doors opens a whole lot of doors because for one if you go and talk to people and you have this because usually you have a speaker tag on your badge people are more willing to talk to you the other thing that that opens up is there's usually a speaker's room where you can go and prep your talk and things like that and a lot of times the other speakers are in there chatting they also usually have speakers only events before or after the conference And so those are opportunities to build relationships with other people who are kind of operating at that top end level. But yeah, that's not that's not a reason or an excuse not to do it if you're not at that level, because a lot of those folks who are at that level, they are at the conference to meet people who they can help. And so if if they're speaking and you want their help or want to learn something from them or want to ask them a question about their talk or whatever. 
they are delighted to help you out. Same thing at the users groups. And in fact, the users groups are usually more approachable. Another thing just to throw it out there is that usually the people who are kind of the hub of relationships and influence at any given event is the organizer, right? And so if you're if you're wanting to build relationships and you're going to an event like an, a conference or users group, if you volunteer, that opens up all kinds of doors because all of a sudden the person who knows the people who you should know knows who you are, right? And they'll take an interest in you. They'll get to know you a little bit more. And then a lot of times what you'll wind up with after you volunteer a time or two is they'll be like, by the way, you really ought to know this guy over here, right? Who owns this company or who works on this team or who's interested in the same thing you you are or whatever, right? And so they start, they'll, they'll do it on their own, right? And it's funny because people feel the need a lot of times to reciprocate to people that help them out. And it's not because... It's not because they really owe you anything, right? Because you volunteered of your own free will and accord, right? But the reality is, is that you're doing something for them and they want to do something for you. And so they will. Same thing with the conference, same thing with all these other types of things. You go help somebody promote their book, you help somebody promote something else, their course, things like that. They'll go out of their way to help you build relationships or whatever it is that they can do. And if you can kind of give them an idea of how they can help, that helps too. But without directly asking is typically in better taste, I guess. But yeah, just talking to people, just letting people know where you're at. A lot of times that's enough for them to go, oh, well, I can help you out with this, right? Speaking at the events is is kind of a no-brainer. I'll tell you, the conferences, a lot of them get a lot of talk submissions and they'll kind of pick and choose who they want. The users groups, it's typically not that way. Typically, they are looking for speakers actively on a regular basis. And so if you can come to them with a topic that they really want, and or you can pinch hit on no notice because their speaker didn't show up and you're a lifesaver that way, same deal, right? And, and you get recognized as, a, as a, an expert while you're there. Yeah. And so all of those things open all kinds of doors to... Uh, to building relationships. And then, yeah, you know, doing a podcast or a YouTube channel and having people on as guests or going on as guests to podcasts and YouTube channels is the other way that I've built relationships. Those are all very, very good points. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the other one that, and, and I should, I should bring this up. So is coworkers, right? I mean, you, you talk to those people all the time, right? When I was a brand new programmer, my very first programming job, I got hired. It was actually at a consultancy and I don't know why they hired me as a brand new programmer, but they hired me out as a senior software developer, even though I had exactly zero years of experience as a professional programmer. You'll have to ask my old boss that. Anyway, they put me on a project with another senior guy and he basically taught me the ropes. And that that was a terrific way to go. And it turned out that he knew a lot of people in the community, right? And then he kind of got me turned on to the local users group. And from there, I got to meet other people. And then they introduced me to other people. And so you really only need a couple of key people to get started building relationships. And so don't think that you have to know the whole world at once either. You just get a couple of people and get them to introduce you around. You should be in good shape. Anything you want to add, Adi? Sorry, I talked a bunch. No, those are all great points. And yeah, no, I don't think I, I don't think I can add anything to that. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Is there... Is there a trick that you've seen work, especially since you organize the users group? 
Yeah. So people generally are not open to talking, right? But I have all pretty much always seen when someone gives it their first talk, just to give, pick on one of my best friends, Josh Adams, he gave his first Boston Elixir talk a couple months ago. It's his mm-hmm. first talk period. And he's like, he's a very, very good Elixir developer. He was like, this is actually fun and pretty easy. Why don't I do this earlier? And he gave like one of the best talks we've ever had. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he, it was, it's, it's actually probably our most popular talk on YouTube on the Boston Elixir channel. And again, it changes the way people look at you. Like you mm-hmm. said, people like acknowledge you as like expert, even if it's like an entry level talk, you're an expert in that domain, right? Only then you're giving a talk. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way to spread your name and people will send you an email after the meetup saying, hey, the talk was great. Let's let's chat more, right? It, it's even in a small meetup talk, is it has such an impact. It's, it's also a great way to place to test your, potential conference talks too mm. right so yeah yeah it's it sucks that you have to convince people to give a talk but when someone does give their first talk and they share that experience with you it's very rewarding yeah the users group that i started going to when i was brand new salt lake ruby users group they actually they would typically have three speakers and two of them would be the old hat speakers and then one of them would be a primer and it would be on just something basic right and so anybody could give that talk, right? And so they were they were encouraging the newer people to give those talks. And it was just five minutes. And it could be about, I mean, it could be about the most basic. I think I gave a talk about Ruby strings, right? I mean, it doesn't get much more basic than that. And so I just talked about some of the methods on strings in Ruby. And I'm sure everybody there knew it, right? But it was comfortable. It was safe, right? Because it was something that I was familiar with. And I got some teaching or ta- uh, speaking experience. Right. And so. you learn like how, just mm-hmm. how no matter pretty much no matter what you say, people will appreciate the fact that mm-hmm. you're talking, you take, you take the time out to learn yeah. and prepare a presentation. It's very, I have never seen anyone say like, you know, be mean to the speaker ever. Like I've been to many mm-hmm. conferences, organized many meetups. Uh, it's, it's never the case. And, and no talk is bad. Like, cause you have, you're right. giving people information. So yeah. Yeah. Typically at, at the conferences and at the users group, they're there and they want to have a good experience, right? And so they're pulling for you. I mean, from the second you stand up, they're pulling for you. And I mean, I have, I've screwed up talks. I've really screwed up talks. I've lost my place. I've said the wrong thing. I've said one thing and meant another. I've said stuff that could have been taken the wrong way, like horribly the wrong way, like offensively the wrong way. Wow. And people just went with it. I got the benefit of the doubt every single time. And so just just be aware that people are there and they're there to enjoy themselves and to learn and to learn with you. And so, and, and then at the end, yeah, just let people know, hey, look, I'm going to be right out in the hallway if you have any other questions and don't be afraid to just chat it up with people. Same thing with after the users group, right? In fact, Whenever I go to users groups, I always get home like two hours after the thing's over because I'm always chatting with people afterward. So the last the last area is recognition. We've kind of been talking about that with some of the speaking and stuff like that. And with this area, I advocate that people be involved in a podcast, YouTube channel, or blog, right? You, you should be putting out content. And a lot of people are like, you really advocate that everybody should be putting out content? Yep, everybody. And the reason is, is because at the end of the day, in order for you to get what you want, people have to know what you can do right? People have to know who you are and what you're capable of. I mean, open source can stand in there, 
right? I'm not, I, I won't quibble with you about open source if you're like, well, I just want to write open source. But at that point, you know, you need to be writing like open source, like libraries and utilities and command line, command line utilities, Phoenix libraries, you know, stuff like that, where the people are going to actually use or could actually use because you want people to come and actually look at your code and recognize what you have to offer. And the, the other thing is, is that it's that reputation that's going to open the doors to you showing your skills and to you building your relationships. And, and that's, that's what it's there for. Right. I see, I've seen some people where it's all about the reputation. And eventually what happens is the whole thing comes apart. Right. They'll, they'll dump somebody because they're not getting the, their ego stroked enough or because they're not growing the reputation enough or because the person's not as big a name as they thought they were. And then, yeah, everybody kind of figures out that they're a giant fraud. They're smart, right? But they're a giant fraud. They're skilled. They're a giant fraud. And they don't really care about people. And nobody wants to be around a giant jerk. And so, but for the most part, I find that most people are pretty genuine in their desire to be a part of the community and help out. And so you can enjoy having a good reputation in the area that you're good at. And then use that to build the reputation and find opportunities to build your skills and show your skills so that you can get to where you want to go. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I think one of the, just to give another example, uh, because you mentioned open source, my first Elixir contribution was in 2016. And I had been contributing Elixir for you know a few months. I have made a few. And then I wrote an open source library in 2017, early 2017. It's called Rummage. I think I don't know if it's used anymore. It's maintained by my old company. But mm-hmm. at that time it had like crossed like you know, fifty, hundred thousand downloads. It was like very well used. And but like no one knew me. I went to the conference in 2017, spoke with Jose Valim for like two or three minutes, and I told him my name. It's like, oh, that sounds familiar. And I was like, oh, my GitHub handle is the bug catcher. He's like, that, I recognize that. I recognize that. I, I know you've made contributions. So uh, yes, open source does play a role, but that one conference, this like face-to-face interaction, mm-hmm. it did so much better to me just going to one conference, talking to so many people. I just gave one example, but I spoke with, spoke with so many people and saw that they, they, some, a lot of them had heard of me, but now they know me, right? Right. Um, so yeah, it's, you're right. It's good to show off skill, like your skills, what you can do with open source, because now people know that, oh, this guy wrote this, right? Mm-hmm. But for them to remember you and build like mm-hmm. reputation, you, n- you need like a conversation or a face that can attach to that name, right? Right. So that's why going to conferences is very important. Yeah. And and that's the thing, right, is and let me just give a little bit of context for some of this and then I'll talk about some of it, too. I mean, you know, again, most of my reputation comes out of the podcast. Right. And podcasts are nice because people feel like you've had a conversation with them. Right. I have people come up to me a lot and just say, hey, I feel like I know you. Right. And it's because they've listened to me talk to them for hours. I don't know how you people do it, but I love you. <laughs> so keep listening. But, and so it builds relationships, right? And so that's what the podcast does. But at the same time, they they get value from, from what we talk about on the shows. And so that that's the real power of podcasting. The blogging is much more a conveyance of information and it doesn't, it doesn't have that aspect of it. The other issue I have with blogs is that it's, it's harder to get noticed and there's not as much of the subscription, keep people coming back aspect to it. So if you can get a well-known blog, that that works much better for you getting a reputation. Otherwise, you may want to contribute to a well-known blog as a contributor, as opposed to writing your own. Adi mentioned another one. He's writing a book. And that's a good way to get 
build reputation, get well-known as, as an author. And then the YouTube channel, YouTube kind of hits more in the entertainment space, I think, than really the relationship building space that podcasting does. It really depends on the tone of your show, though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, th- I think podcasting does more, but I still think YouTube is still better than like you know writing a blog post or you know yeah, I agree something like that. Uh, just to pitch one of our panel uh, panelists, uh, Alan's YouTube show. Like, actually, mm-hmm. I didn't even realize he had a channel until a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. then I subscribed and I, like watched all of his all of his videos and <laughs> that that night. Uh, mm-hmm. But but yeah, it's a great way to like you know he's uh, really good at that too. Yeah, he's he, his those videos are really good. It looks like he. It's very efficient with them to make he he's found a way to make them very quickly mm-hmm. and it's very effective too. But yeah, again, for those who are listening, please go check out his YouTube channel. I think it's Pl- Plangora. Am I correct? Flying high with elixir or flying high with flutter. Flutter. Okay, I, I think there was another one. Okay. Yeah, Plangora um, is his consulting company, and he has some elixir videos on there. Gotcha, gotcha. I was actually talking about that, but yeah, check out Flying yeah. High with Flutter as well. But yeah, you're right. Like it podcast, it does feel like less rehearsed. You know, you're able to like mm-hmm. you kind of go with the flow, and just unlike a blog post, you know, you, you, the number of ed- versions on the blog post, the amount of editing, right? The same content mm-hmm. you can fit with uh, ten times less effort in a podcast while still like in communicating and uh, being a little bit more intimate with like the listener and making like a be- better connection. Yeah. I'm a little curious if you want to talk about it for a minute, the process of writing a book. Ooh, yeah. How many minutes do we have? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, is, it is very intense. It's, it's a lot of fun, which is great, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to find a way to make it fun for you. But the motivation has to be you want to share knowledge because if you're a developer, good enough to write a book, you're not going to make money enough. That'll be worth your time. And there'll be a lot of non-technical problems that will run into and your motivation to share your knowledge with people is what you have to cling on to, right? While doing that, mm-hmm. and actually, there's a this whole story. Uh, we should probably do a podcast on that. Uh, if we don't have a panelist sometime, check. I would love to. Yeah, I'm actually g- giving a talk on writing a book too. Like, and the way we're I'm doing this book is very interesting. It's it's I'm approaching writing this book like a software, where we're embedding code dynamically in text and the code uh-huh. that's tested. But also, I'm also testing. You know, when you run like mix run. Mm-hmm. something i'm testing every command's output and dynamically adding that too uh i would love to again talk about this uh with, but but again the point is it's it's a lot of work if you want to do it the way you know if you want to do it in a good way right if you want to do it the right mm-hmm. way it's a lot of work and the only thing like i said you have is the motivation to share knowledge right if you're excited about a topic excited about the book like i am i'm super excited about this i don't get demoralized <laughs> with all the communications <laughs> and all the stuff going on yeah yeah and your book is published through through Pact Publishing. Um, Pact. It's it's actually one of my picks. I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the episode. Good deal. So I self published a book. And, That's awesome. Uh, that that was that was a whole process. I'm actually going back and doing edits on it now, so I can publish the audio book. And wow. it's it, it's not a technical book. It's a career book. But yeah, it's it's quite a bit of work. And yeah, I mean, it's it's brought me some notoriety but mostly it's just reinforced what i've gotten from the podcast and so it's yeah it's but it's it's again it's it's another thing that you know people can grab onto and say oh guy knows his stuff about this stuff yeah totally cool yeah well anyway i i guess just to wrap up going back to this idea of top end devs if you feel like you're kind of Um, you know, whether it's logarithmic or linear, you know, on your career path, right? Whether you're coming up against this 
limit on your career or whether you're just, I'm just going to float along until I come up a step and get paid more, you know, and then my life looks the same and I'm kind of bored with my career and you're, you're kind of looking for a, a lift on things. I mean, just look at things and try and figure out where you want to end up, right? Do you want to be a speaker? Do you want to be an author? Do you want to be a podcaster? Do you want to, who do you want to mentor? Who do you want to make a difference for? What kinds of contributions do you want to make to the community? And then from there, really think about, okay, well then, what skills do I need? And they may not be technical skills, right? It may be speaking skills or writing skills or, you know, speaking skills or whatever. And what relationships can I build? And, you know, how do I put that out there so I can get noticed so that I can enhance the other two? And from there, make a plan to get there. And, uh, you know, I I have something in my picks too that I'm going to be putting out there if you have any other questions about this. But yeah. I, I really want to encourage people, you don't have to stay on that default trajectory, right? There, I talk to people, I talk to people about job searches, I talk to people about kind of their learning journey, I talk to people about their career journey. And I think they're like these rules, that they have to stay within these lines. And sorry, folks, but you don't. And it's, it's kind of silly that people tell other people that, right? I, I kind of understand that you can kind of wind up thinking that, but you don't. So if you're thinking, you know what, there's got to be something better then figure it out. And yeah, let's go ahead and do picks so that so that you can uh, talk about your book stuff and I can talk about my stuff. Hey folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Sure, yeah. So I guess I have a few picks. Uh, the first one, like Chuck said, is, is my book. It's uh, its page is officially up on PAC's website. Just was up like, it's been up for a couple of days. Uh, and I'm going to drop a link to that. And yeah, when, when the time comes, I'll share more about the book. I've, I've been sinking my weekends, my nights, my mornings <laughs> in this book. And uh, to a point where I've built a tool to write this book and we're planning on making a good amount of that open source. And I'm lucky to be working with a publisher who is patient enough and giving me freedom to do all of this stuff, right? And yeah, the output is like pretty, pretty neat if I say so myself. And another exciting part about this, I'm giving a talk this year at Code Beams, Beam San Francisco about writing a book in Elixir, using Elixir, and yeah, if, if people are curious, like uh, it's, it's a it's a it's a hybrid conference, virtual, in-person both. So uh, hopefully you'll you'll be able to make it. We talked about meetups today, so I thought it'd be a great way to promote my meetup or the meetup that I organize, Boston Elixir. We just started adding more uh, people outside of Boston because we meet virtually every month. And if anyone wants to give a talk, just show up. Whatever you're welcome, right? We'll have a Zoom meeting and we even have like the videos of that posted on YouTube if everyone's uh, okay with recording. So yeah. And again, if you want to give an entry-level talk, whatever, hit me up. And speaking of hitting me up, 
we talked about a lot of things today and it might be overwhelming for like you know a lot of you if you are not sure what's the next step what's the next step for you if you need help i don't know how should i find people i want to mentor or what should i do i want to write a book or anything like if you need help with anything it doesn't even have to be elixir related but especially if it's elixir related hit me up i'm more than happy to help i i have been super lucky in my career and i know a lot of people have not been <laughs> super lucky and a lot of things that i've done over the last few years i feel like if i can do it 90% of people can do it and i want to really i truly believe that and i want to empower people to be able to do that so yeah my contact info will be on the episodes page don't hesitate to just chat me even if it's like very vague you're not sure what questions you want to ask just hit me up awesome so i've got a couple of picks here myself i should probably pick my book i'll put a link to it in the show notes but it's essentially a guide to finding a job and it's it's wow. finding your dream developer job so it's not the typical update your resume send it to everybody hope you get an interview it it it's actually starts with knowing what kind of a job you want and what kind of out outcome output you want and then from there it's figuring out who you know at the kinds of companies you want to work at figuring out if the company matches and then working with people you know to get referrals so that you can actually come in the door warm and have them go to bat for you and we were actually talking about this before the show Audie and I were so it's really the most effective way to make it work. And so you can go pick that up. I'm actually working on edits on the book right now with an editor. And the reason is, is because I tried to record the audiobook for it. And I just, I wasn't quite happy with the way that some of the, it flowed grammatically, but I've gotten a lot of great reviews on it. People really like it. It's just, yeah, it's just doesn't have that. I'm, I'm a perfectionist in some ways and it just didn't have that level of polish that I wanted on it. So I'm, I'm going to get that, that out. Book, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll get uh, I'll get the link to that in the show notes. But uh, the other pick that I have is, and this is just again down to, okay, you know what 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 contribution do you want to make in the community? What what difference do you want to make? And for me, it is it's down to okay, how do I help as many people become top end devs, right? And then how do I lift the community to the point where top end dev means something completely different, like at a higher level, right? Where the common dev is is a higher level dev. And so what I'm going to be doing right now, I'm planning on doing it every Wednesday at noon mountain time, but that may change, right? Just depending on what my situation is. My kids are going back to school in two weeks and I just, I don't know what that schedule is. Honestly, that's kind of the big thing right now. But I'm going to be putting on, I hesitate to use this word because I really hate webinars. But I'm going to say webinar. Effectively, what it is, is it's going to be a Q&A session with 10 minutes of just some kind of instruction at the beginning, right? So it may be on planning your week, or it may be on figuring out what you want, or it may be on dealing with the boss, or whatever, right? Uh, the reason I hate webinars is because usually what happens is, it's like they, they give you a whole bunch of content, and half of it is BS. And then at the end, there's a high pressure sale. and for mine, it's going to be 10 minutes of content. And it's going to be content based on what I've done, what I've seen, people I've talked to, okay? No BS. And there's no sales pitch, okay? I'm just going to, I'm going to talk to you about what I, what I think will help based on the questions I'm getting from people. And then I'm just going to answer questions from people until we run out of time or until we run out of questions. And when I say answer questions, I'm not talking about, so... 
how do I blah, 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 blah. And I give you like a two sentence answer. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to open it up. I'm going to bring people in. You'll, you'll be able to speak. We'll be able to see each other. And I'm actually going to ask deeper questions and get kind of the core of whatever you're running into, right? And it may be something simple and I may be able to answer it in a few minutes, or it may be something that's a little deeper and, you know, it takes us 20 minutes to get to the core of the thing and figure out kind of what your next step is. But I really want to help people figure out what should I be focused on next? How do I go from senior dev to top end dev, right? Should I be podcasting? Should I be blogging? Should I be YouTubing? Or maybe it's, I'm brand new, you know, how do I get my first job, right? And, and what's holding me up? Why can't I get any interviews? You know, so whether it's getting past a roadblock or whether it's just figuring out what the next level of empowerment is within your career, I mean, any and all of it's up for grabs. And, you know, I, I just want to do it once a week. I'm planning on doing it for an hour, hour and a half at least. You know, if I have more time, we'll do it for more time. But that's the deal. If you go to devchat.tv slash level up, it's completely free. And like I said, I'm not doing the the sales pitches. I'm not doing the the BSing. I really just want to help people figure out, okay, where am I at and what do I got to do? And if a deeper relationship, friendship, anything like that comes out of it, great. And if if we find other opportunities to do stuff together in other ways, great. But that's what you need to kind of get things going for the next year or so, then that's great too. But I've really been thinking about what fires me up about doing what I do on devchat.tv. And if I can get people ahead this way, then then that's then that's where I want to be at, right? So yeah, at the end of the day, that's that's what we're doing. So again, if you want to just go to devchat.tv slash level up, then that's where you get that. And uh, yeah, that's my big pick. So yeah, unless there's anything else, we'll go ahead and wrap up here. Till next time, folks, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.